Bush and Richie here with another Home Time podcast. Uh, something that I forgot to mention to you. This may end up going in a, a future show. We'll see, Bush. Um, welders were round today. That's a uh-huh. cool job. That's a cool job. What welding in that? Mate, seriously, I, there were sparks flying, sharp things just rotating. It, it is, honestly looked mega cool. Welding. Do you know what, right? My, my future brother-in-law, Andy, from uh, Newcastle, is a welder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the stuff he makes is amazing. So he, he, he welds kind of industrial stuff for shop units, etc. But in his spare time, he makes like he made a chimney the other day. He finds bits of old scrap metal and then you and welds and melts it together and then just creates stuff for the garden. It's an amazing skill. This is the thing you see with your welder. You and I, if we see a piece of steel, it's a piece of steel. We can't do much with it because it's steel. You know, welder, your welder. They can bend it, break it, attach it, do whatever they want to it, because they're a welder. I think it's cool. The sky's the limit if you're a welder. So, welding chat on a future home time show. <laughs> What's this space? Do you know what? The highest praise is one of when one of you guys sees someone that you think would be great on this show and you get in touch. And it's exactly what's happened today. Uh, listener Mike Naylor, God bless him, has alerted Richie and I to a fascinating story that's developing in the Middle East. It was just in the news at the top of the hour there. And it's this story about this 224,000 what, pound, tonne? tanker that's got stuck sideways in the Suez Canal. Now, the Suez Canal, as you all know, like artificial sea-level waterway in Egypt that connects the Mediterranean to the Red Sea, one of the world's busiest trade routes. It's huge. Uh, and this this pilot's having a nightmare. It's got stuck sideways, and there's a queue of traffic either side. There's an out worse than getting stuck, is there? Gone with a, a really credible um, excuse as well. Gone with, uh, it was a freak gust of wind. You see the size of this ship. I mean, it would be a hurricane. <laughs> so goodness knows what has gone on there. But yes, it's it's wedged. It's stuck. It's blocking all these ships. Getting stuck is awful. Bush, I, I, I get terrors when I think about, uh, I got stuck in a, p- a pair of child's handcuffs um, on Basing... <laughs> no, seriously. Seriously, Basingstoke Station, about ten years ago. You know those... <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> no. Who are you, John Wayne Gacy? What the hell's going on? <laughs> no. You know, um, you know those uh, magazines you get uh, in shops? Horrendous things. Kids' magazines, they've got free plastic things yeah. on the front of them. Every parent hates them. Charlie had got one of these, and uh, we were waiting for a train at Basingstoke. He had handcuffed me to, like, this barrier. Suddenly it was time to go. I couldn't get myself out of them. Had to, oh had to yell. The only person who could let me out was this, um, you know, piece of sta- station staff came along. They were laughing their heads off. Got, oh, my Lord. Got on the train, kids were laughing, but I was I was panicking. I could see the kids getting off a whole life just running away from me just because of these kids' handcuffs. I- I'm sweating in your behalf because you, you must have thought the, the, the ramifications there, you're processing it through your head in terms of this ain't going to play out well. How's this going to look? You must have thought at one point you might have ended up in the papers. Well, yes, there is that too. You, you, you're either sort of thinking that, you know, the kid's going off on the train, then suddenly you're a DJ in handcuffs on a station. It's just, it's, an, uh, it's a horrible story. <laughs> we're, we're all, we're all going to end up there at some point. It's how this career pans out. It's just how it is. <laughs> but, but, but that's a cracking stuck story. I've got to tell you this one. Uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine, uh, we were on a, a day trip around Liverpool. She got her head stuck in a roll neck jumper at Liverpool One Shopping Centre. I'd gone off and had a look around the footy shop and she'd gone to one of the clothes shops. They got stuck in a roll neck jumper. She said she'd never been so scared in her life. Uh, clothing ones are a real thing. Steph has tweeted saying, a friend, friends in inverted commas, oh, 
A friend got stuck in a denim boob tube in Topshop circa 1993. You see, that's the, that's quite chilling. I don't think I want to experience that. I think any any fella listening to this right now, if you've played football at any level, if you've tried to, and maybe mistakenly tried to put skinny jeans on or spray on jeans on in Topshop, and at that moment in there thinking, I ain't getting out of these unless it's the fire brigade getting involved, you know what we're talking about. Lucy says, my brother got his leg stuck in the railings at Epcot Centre in Disney. We were halfway to the car before we realised he wasn't joking. This followed my dad then spitting on his leg to try and get it out. We all still shudder when it's brought up. Wow, that's up there with the whole friends weeing on the jellyfish thing type thing. Don't want to talk about it, do you know what I mean? (laughs) Family shame. Uh, Sophie sent in a brilliant one. She says, my sister got her jean zip, not just stuck, but fused with her vest top on a night out in Leicester Square. Uh, I had to rip her out of the jeans in a pub loo so she could have a wee, post-margaritas, and she spent the rest of the night with her boyfriend's suit jacket tied round her waist to hold her jean. To hold her jeans up. <laughs> oh, when we could all go out. <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. We want your stuck stories. John, what happened to you? Oh, long time ago. I used to be heavily into uh, weight training and mm-hmm. uh, went on holiday with the family. Uh, it was an old Viscount, I think, but the toilets weren't as big as they are now. And I was wide. I'm wide now. On Is this on an aeroplane or on a train? Where yeah, where are you at this point? On an aircraft, an aircraft mid air, mid transit over to Tunisia. I was broader than the toilet, so I was at a slight angle whilst having a pee. Yeah. And it hit a bit of turbulence, and I went square on, so I was stuck. Right. right. And about five or six minutes later, I get a knock on the door, and this voice goes, "Are you all right?" And I said, "No, I'm stuck." <laughs> and the stewardess says, "You what?" I said, "I'm stuck." She goes, "You're joking." I said, "No, I'm." Duck, open the door, you've got to pull me out. And she went, if you're having a laugh and you're, you're in trouble, I went, no, 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 I'm stuck. So she opened the door, one grabbed me by the collar, and one grabbed me by my belt, and two of them pulled me out. But I came out, still with JT in my hands, right, oh my. on my back, on the aisle, with the stewardesses looking down at me, with wide eyes, and then somebody from beside of me just started to laugh. And I was just sort of like, trying to put it all away, and there was, it was just, it was just a mess. But I was in a spread face. John, this story has everything. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, this one here says, I got stuck in the back of my own van on the ferry to the Isle of Wight Festival. Hey? Uh, it was a late crossing and I thought I'd catch an hour's sleep in the back of the van. But when I woke up, the ferry was ready to unload and I, <laughs> I couldn't let myself out. I had to bang on the sides until someone noticed. That sounds awful. <laughs> Uh, Tina says, I got stuck in a kiddie's swing while holidaying in Spain, thinking I was clever in front of our kids. Took ages to get free, with quite an audience. Thankfully, my husband has lost the video footage of the incident. (laughs) Christine, what happened to you? I got stuck in the lift in the co-op when I worked in the co-op as a window dresser. Okay. And um, And, uh... I had a rocking horse in the lift with me. And uh, the door got jammed and the lift went up and then it got stuck. (laughs) Wow, and rocking horses are quite scary, aren't they? So you were stuck for how long there with, with a rocking horse? Four freak, hours. Freak it out? Four, Four hours. hours. <laughs> I'm imagining that like a lift engineer is calling to you saying, is it just you in there? No, it's me and no, a rocking horse. Yeah, just me and the rocking horse. And in terms of getting a, a long-term psychological scar from this, is it lifts or rocking horses or both that you're now still scared of? Oh, just the lift. Rocking horses don't scare me anymore. Anymore? Oh, that's good. No, no. Just the lift. 
busy week on the show. Uh, midway through UFO week. Where did you find this music from? What is this? Is this the Chinese takeaway version of X Files? <laughs> We asked our producer for the X-Files music. I don't know where he has dredged this up from. It is U- UFO. All right, it's becoming I'll go a... go for um, chicken chow mein, please, mate, and <laughs> uh, two pints of chain. <laughs> he's, he's actually now chirping up in the background. Um, it, is, it is UFO week on Blaze this week, and uh, after six, somebody else will be winning cash on this show, thanks to Blaze. We will be speaking uh, to a, a UFO expert, which I personally am very excited about because I have actually seen a UFO, so I get the chance to... I will get the chance to speak to somebody who's actually going to listen to me rather than just take the mick. Do you know what? This is going to be interesting because I don't think we've ever properly discussed this in terms of exactly what happened to you. So after six, will you reveal all? Yes, I will. Yes, I will. I look forward to that. We want to find out ahead of them what things in life still confuse you, all right? I've, (laughs) I've seen a UFO, but what other things for you are unexplained. Stephen has tweeted, this is just on Twitter at the moment, at Absolute Radio, he says, The Washing Machine, I only know one programme. I'm going to go along with that. Our washing machine is like hieroglyphics. I don't know what most of the buttons do or anything like that at all, all the strange symbols. (laughs) I'm not one actually to laugh because, for me, I'd have to say shoelaces are still unexplained. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they are, aren't they? I'll never forget, I'll never forget, right, taking a selfie right when we first started doing this show. Uh, and it was of the pair of us stood next to the desk about to get ready for doing home time. And, and an eagle-eyed listener had zoomed in on your feet and said, what is going on with Richie's laces? And, and it's from that point on that I realised yeah. that you have a problem. I do the biggest loops. It's still a mystery to me at 43. Uh, Wiltshire has tweeted us to say why they bother putting numbers other than 200 on the oven dial. That's a really good point. I only ever cook at 190 <laughs> or 200. That's literally it. <laughs> That's a good shout. Roy says, how can we supposedly get crystal clear pictures from Mars, but I can't get Wi-Fi in a different room in my house? Yes, yeah, a good one. That's a wind-up. That's the unexplained. I'm going to chuck in as well Snapchat. I don't, I don't get it. Why, why would you send a message to someone that then disappears like something from Mission Impossible? Why bother doing that? Can I just chuck another one in there for the unexplained? Why is it, whenever you want to charge your laptop, if you're working from home, as everyone else is at the moment, the, the charger point, the connector to the laptop, is always on the other side, the opposite side? <laughs> why a, is that? Very good question. Maybe we'll have to ask him after six. Yeah. Uh, Helen, uh, what is unexplained for you? What's still baffling you? Well, I I failed my test on reverse around the corner twice, and I think that uh, memory of you failed. It's obviously, you know, done something to my head. And I can't... Uh, I can reverse out of my garage, and then left-hand down to sort of go that left, and then obviously to drive off to the right. But if I have to reverse, say, down a road, or something that's unfamiliar, I can't do it. Okay. Uh, You're getting stressed out, getting stressed out even hearing it. Sorry, it's the front of the car thing. Take yourself back to your happy place, which is reversing out of the garage. Right, so uh, I've gone in forward. Yeah, good. It's a very narrow old council garage. So I'm coming out, the wheel is straight, hopefully, and then as I'm just sort of coming out, (laughs) where the the wind mirrors are pushed in for this effect, uh, I will then do slight hands down, you know, keep making sure I'm not going to hit the very narrow walls. Yeah. 
and that goes over to the left, doesn't it? Because then, because like, I want to go right in a minute. So I'm <laughs> do, sure do, do you remember there was there was a guy that was on Dragon's Den, and he his invention was a glittering glove yeah. that you put on either hand, depending on which side of the road you were driving on when you were driving abroad. I feel like you, although they chucked him out of Dragon's Den, they didn't <sighs> invest. I feel like you could use uh, one of these. Yeah, you know? he sent me one, and it didn't really work. But can I just say, I was saying to my daughter, I think yesterday, when I learned to drive in 1989. Oh, 1987, 1989, I passed. Anyway, my driving instructor was allowed to put stickers on the back window. I don't know if you remember this. So right. as you were going around the corner, <laughs> you, you'd say, right, that sticker there, once that hits there, you you know, you then start doing... So, I, again, he's obviously... You know, not made my brain ever take this in. Well, Helen, look, I'm, I like to think I'm a solutions person. I think in your own car, <laughs> I think it's fine for you to go and put some stickers back up if, that, if that's what works for you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I think I might. Green Day, you know, Foo Fighters, what, that kind of thing now. No. <laughs> no. That'd be good if if, if have, Green Day and Foo Fighters did do a line of yeah. reversing stickers for cars. Oh, <laughs> it's niche merch. Oh, anyway, but I think I've never. I've got ten years no claims, even I'm fifty-one. But you know, I have not had an accident. But the other day, my car was being picked up for a service. He said, "Could you go right back so I can put my car in your garage?" Oh, I couldn't do it, lad, because it was cars either side. That's what I can't do. I'm going to need a gin and tonic if I, hit, I speak <laughs> oh, to sure. Helen anymore. I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, it's, thank anyway, you. Thank you, lad. Thank you so Sorry. much. Great no to chat. Problem. Bye. Well, listen, Philip, welcome to Home Time. What an amazing line of work to be involved with. Uh, just let's just kick things off here. We're very jealous of your, your line of work and what you're involved with. Tell us your actual title and what you do. Well, I'm the former director of investigations for the British UFO Research Association. So a couple of years back, I, I took early retirement from my proper job. And now I work on UFO research full time. Yeah. Uh, as, uh, you know, an investigator, researcher, I'm also an author, and I run my own little publishing company as well. We have gone right to the top. I like this, Philip. This is fantastic. And <laughs> you're involved with everything that's going on this week on Blaze with uh, UFO Week. Uh, and you've got a show tomorrow night as well. Tell us about that. Um, Thursday night, 9pm on Blaze. We have a four-part series starting. It's called Alien Autopsy, The Search for Answers. And uh, it's, it's based on my book, um, Roswell Alien Autopsy, that came out at the end of last year. Wow. Roswell Alien Autopsy. I swear I saw them at Reading 92. <laughs> Sounds like a band. <laughs> uh, so, Philip, like, you know, you were talking about you, you, you quit your normal job and then you've taken this up full time now. What were you mm -hmm. doing before? And was it just like a sideline interest that you had in UFOs and it's kind of grown over time? How did you get into it? Well, uh, no, I mean, I've been involved for over 40 years. I mean, I, I started, my interest started at high school, and it gathered pace when I left high school in 1974, giving my age away there, guys. But, um, you know, I went from job to job, and come sort of 1979, um, I live in West Yorkshire, and there was a formation of a local UFO group here called the Yorkshire UFO Society, and I joined it, and I've been involved ever since, you know, writing, lecturing, investigating, I mean, you name it. You know, I've probably done it at some point. Philip, can I selfishly ask you about 
my sighting because I've never had the chance to talk to somebody um, as as credible as you about it. Um, would it be all right if I tell you about it and you can uh, let me know whether this was in an area or, or, or just whether it strikes any chords? I actually read about it. I think you saw like a, a, a streak of light with three lights above it. You said it looked a bit like a crown. It did. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I can. I can vividly remember it as if it was yesterday. Three fifty-eight in the morning. I was driving into work along the M4 near Bracknell, uh, and. It appeared in my eyeline as I'm driving here, but there wasn't another vehicle on the road because I was so awake. I was so awake. This isn't anyone saying, oh, you were tired or something like that. And for a period of about two, two and a half seconds, one horizontal light uh, and then three lights above that horizontal light and they just came on, two and a half seconds, came off. And, and that was it. And I was looking around and there was absol- there's absolutely nothing that can be explained in, in, in rational thinking for me as to what it was. Mm. I mean, I mean what, what we must remember is that most, if not all, but most UFO sightings at the end of the day do have a rational explanation. So you always start off with that premise. There's nothing that instantly springs to mind that I could point and say it was that. It doesn't sound like your normal uh, navigation lights on an aircraft, no. for example. Um, and and that same with a helicopter. It doesn't seem like that. I, if I was going, if I was a gambling man, I would suggest possibly space debris or 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 something of that nature. Uh, that can look similar to that, and it. Weirdly enough, I did see space debris at Reading '92 oh, as well. Goodness. This is so what a coincidence! You You've seen all the bands. <laughs> but, uh, do, do, do you, Philip? Though, say Richie there with his eyewitness report. Do you always start from the basis that you try and disprove it? Like, what what approach do you take when someone comes to you and says, "I think I've seen well, a UFO"? Do you... I mean, yeah, I mean, we know, you know, from from experience that most UFO sightings have an explanation. So it doesn't matter who it is or where it's from. There's a 99% probability that there's an explanation for it. Sometimes you may not be able to find an exact, you know, explanation, but in the back of your mind, you know there is one there somewhere. Because like this, I mean, I believe your sighting was the the gentleman's sighting was was you know t- over 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's difficult to go back and and say we'll look into that. Had we been there at the time, we may have been able to come up with something similar to myself back in the 1980s. I saw some very bizarre lights over a suburb of of Leeds. And uh, whilst I couldn't find an explanation for them, I'm I'm convinced there is one there somewhere. I just don't know. I just don't know where it is. So we always start off with that idea in mind that most UFO sightings, uh, even with the best intentions, do have an explanation at the end of the day. Space debris, can I just ask you a question about that? So if, if that was space debris that I had seen, is that it sort of like the, that two and a half seconds of light that I saw, is that it burning up in the atmosphere or something? Is that what would have caused that light? Absolutely, it could be, yes. And it, at what time of year was it? <sighs> I don't want to make up an answer because I can't tell you for any certainty. I just know it was 3.58 in the morning by the junction for Bracknell and the M4. I can't tell you what time of year it was. Uh, I yeah, don't we, know. We also know that, for example, every August there is the Perseids meteor shower. Some of that can be extremely bright. 
you know, I've gone out onto the hills away from all the light pollution to view the meteor shower. Some of it is fabulous. It really is spectacular. Um, So, you know, we'd be be looking at explanations along those lines, shall I say. but the thing is, though, Philip, right, from, from a sceptic's perspective, if there is alien life out there, where, where are they? Why, why hasn't someone landed and said, hey, hey, guys, how's it going? Do you know what I mean? But where are these, these, these aliens? Well, of course, there are those that claim that, that they have indeed had uh, close encounters with beings from another world. Uh, and that's not just in the, you know, in, in Hicksville, USA. It's, it's around the world, including here in the U.K., such encounters do happen. You know, they're very credible people that report them. They're as, as befuddled and as baffled as the rest of us uh, when, when they report these incidents. Um, but, you know, they are reported and, and all over the world. It's interesting you speak of very credible people because this is the thing that I've always found since 10 years ago when I saw mine. There's a bit of a heavy burden to then talk to people about it because the status quo that people have is they just want to laugh at you. But when you are a credible person and you've seen it and you know what you saw, it's, it's, you almost sort of go quite shy talking about it. You do. I mean, most of the sightings that come our way are, are people who, who've seen it years ago. And, and the, for some reason, they'll, they'll go on the record now. It may be they've seen a documentary or read a newspaper article or whatever and think, oh, well, I better tell somebody about what I saw. Uh, and that makes it all the more difficult from a you know, research point of view. It's a long time ago. But there are those, you know, that at the time say, no, I think this is important. And yes, I know there's a degree of scepticism and and I might be in for a bit of, you know, leg pulling, but I think it's important and and they do stand up and and go on the record. And that's people from all walks of life, it really is. Do you know the scariest thing for me, though, is the fact that maybe we are alone? That's probably more scary than there might be aliens out there, is the fact, what what if we are alone? It's just us floating in darkness in, in, the, in the solar system and there's nothing else out there. That's, that's surely more scary, isn't it, Philip? Well, I don't know if it's more scary, but it, it is indeed a possibility. Uh, however, the way I look at it, whether you believe in creation, as you know it from God, or you believe that the, the, in, in uh, evolution... The universe is far bigger than we've previously imagined. For example, it is now estimated that the visible universe is 48 billion light years across. In that universe, there are 2 trillion galaxies. And of course, within those galaxies are countless stars and planets. So the, the likelihood that life of some description uh, exist elsewhere has increased as a result um, so yes it, we could well indeed be alone but whether you believe in creation or evolution I think it's highly unlikely that we'd have this magnificent universe just for us just to ourselves uh, and they see what what we know is that the chemical compounds that make you and I uh, are not restricted to this little corner of, of the universe that are in abundance everywhere and of course where we find water on earth we find life and again water is h2o hydrogen and oxygen and it's in it's in abundant supply everywhere so it increases the, the likelihood that there will be life elsewhere philip i could sit and talk to you for 
ours, um, but we've <laughs> we, we've got money that we've got to give away to some uh, some UFO fans in our competition very soon. Remind us, um, remind us once more about your program when it's on, and uh, it, it's been absolutely brilliant chatting to you. Yeah, Thursday evening as part of UFO Week on Blaze. Thursday at nine pm, you have the first part of Alien Autopsy: The Search for Answers, uh, and there's, it's a, a four part series. Tune in, you'll not be disappointed. Philip, awesome to have you on. Thank you so much. Take care. My pleasure, gentlemen. I mean, there was a movie about welding. Was there? Well, Footloose was all welding, really, wasn't it? You know, all the dancing in the factory. Speaking of that, that, I still find that as a health and safety violation. Him dancing around with his earphones in in that sheet metal factory, he's asking for trouble. Welding. Like we said, future home time show. Slight edit. Um, don't want to have a um, don't want to have a uh, no. Britannia Stadium. Uh, yeah, for all those people that we're getting in touch about yesterday's show. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, it's West Brom that's the highest above sea level, and uh, we've just realised it was actually uh, Footloose, not Flashdance. No, it was Flashdance, not Footloose. I can't even get a correction right. <laughs> can't even get uh, a correction right. Right, I'm calling this. Let's end this podcast and put everyone out of their misery.